Good morning and welcome to this week's Football Digest um, podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, really, really appreciate it. As ever with these things, blimey, the, the stuff we've just been saying off air is so passionate and so angry and so determined. But yeah, we probably uh, probably put us in a very good place to really have some full and frank discussions about the football um, and, the, and the season ahead and what a weekend in store as well. So thanks so much for joining. And I'm delighted to be saying that we've um, got Simon Mullock with us this uh, this weekend, Chief uh, Football Writer for, for the um, Sunday Mirror. Uh, Neil Moxley from the Sunday People, Chris McKenna from the Daily Star. Thanks so much um, for, for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it, guys. Um, so much input um, uh, uh, to, to follow, really. Where do we start? I mean, there's still so much going on, I think, in the transfer market. It's, um, you know, still not uh, still not completed by any means. I do still think we'll see some really exciting um, transfers to come. And a few sagas, obviously, Harry Kane, very much in the top of the conversation there. So plenty to get through. Um, but let, listen, let's let's. Let's start perhaps with, you know, where we are with some of the big moves. Um, Perhaps, you know, sort of Harry Kane, um, Robert Lewandowski, news coming out of Germany, you know, this morning that basically he might be on the move. Cristiano Ronaldo, doubt this week about his his perhaps future. Simon, if I may, let's start with you. Let's, you know, what was your latest take on, on Harry Kane? You know, because there's clearly Harry Kane, I think, has tried to put his side of the story a little bit. Uh, this week in sort of kind of various ways and um, it's sort of an interesting take are are we any closer to a resolution do you think even after the weekend when the two teams met well you know this time last week John you know I actually said well I thought the Kane deal would get done once the the City Tottenham game was out of the way Uh, a week on I'm really not so sure it's going to actually happen now mm. because, you know, Daniel Levy is just so entrenched in, entrenched in his position that if, uh, you know, you, you just can't see how the how the kind of deadlock is going to be broken. From what I'm told, City and Tottenham, it, it, there's not just a kind of a, a small sort of, you know, and I say small, 20, 30 million pound gap in the valuation of the player. And, and you know, I understand it, it's quite huge. It's huge what City are willing to pay and what Spurs would even contemplate, um, you know, to sell to sell less, you know, their best player. Um, so, listen, d- does it look like the deadlock is any closer to being broken this week than it was last week? No. Um, you know, and I think I thought it was significant that Kane's been left out of the, the Tottenham squad to go to uh, to Portugal for that big conference, uh, that big conference league game. Um yeah, you know, uh, he's been training, trying to get himself up to speed after after missing the start of pre-season training. Clearly, his camp uh, a briefing that um, this gentleman's agreement is not being adhered to by Daniel Levy. And I think there's a, there's a few kind of signs of, of desperation at the moment. Um, from what I can gather from City, they, they've kind of made it clear that they want the player, but there's very little else that they can do. And it's now up to to Kane to try and negotiate, um, you know, a departure away from White Hart Lane um, or the Tottenham Stadium. And that is looking increasing, increasingly unlikely as we go day by day. Mm. Yeah. Neil, you know, in, in your role as head honcho in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, of the Sunday people, did we, are, are we representing sort of kind of, you know, are we playing a sort of an even field with Kane over, because there's been very little criticism, hasn't he? I mean, one paper called him tawdry this morning in sort of his conduct over the last few days, which is kind of kind of interesting. Do you think has he got off lightly in, in terms of the in terms of the coverage generally? Because this is the England captain we're talking about. You know, did he report late? You know, or, or didn't he? There's clearly sort of kind of a bit of a row there. But fundamentally, he's missed the start of Tottenham's season. Some some players are well in international duty have obviously done that as well. But how is Kane emerging from this saga? Well, um, it depends really on, on how much story you stick by the line of thought that, um, uh, that, that Harry Kane... As, as some sort of gentleman's agreement. I think that's the crux of the matter. I mean, a couple of things um, sort of 
stick out to me. Oh, this gentleman's agreement. I mean, Kane and his advisors really should know better. They're, they're not dealing with um, they're not dealing with um, you know uh, uh, you know somebody in the pub who, who's shaking hands on a you know delivery of a, a delivery of um, you know a, a ton of bricks. You know, this is a, a massive. Uh, you know, we're talking about big numbers here. Um, and Daniel Levy is, is, you know, has established a reputation for himself as one of the hardest hardest dealers in football. So this uh, this whole notion that there's a gentleman's agreement seems to me to be an utter nonsense. Also, I don't. I think they've missed a trick. His agents regarding any sort of release clause. It wasn't so long ago that he signed a new five year contract. If they were that keen on getting him out at any stage, then they should have done what Jack Grealish did with with Aston Villa. And, and stuck a release clause in. And once Manchester City had triggered it, that was it, game over. There was no um, there was no turning back. That way, everybody would have known where they stood. I think what's, what's happened in this particular instance is we, we are also used to sort of players getting their way. And I just wonder in this, in this case whether or not Kane actually will at the end of the day because I don't see uh, anything happening other than if Manchester City don't meet the valuation that Tottenham put onto him that one way or another in, in uh, you know, two or three weeks after the deadline passes, um, that the, the Kane comes back with his tail between his legs and starts to play again for Spurs. Um, and and that's, the, that's the outcome as I see it at the moment. So I can't see anything else happening um, if, if, if Simon says Manchester City's valuation is still so far away from what Daniel Levy wants. You know that that will be the that will be the end, end of the matter. Football supporters have got very selective memories. They've got memories like elephants on occasions, and they've got you know they're prepared to forget forget things as well very very quickly. You know, uh, Carry Kane starts banging, uh, scored fifteen goals by Christmas, and you know his his conduct. You know, people will be saying, did it really happen again? So I, I wouldn't put too much store by it. Does he does he come out of it any the worst way? Everybody knows he's he's twenty eight. He wants to maximise his his only potential be, before he retires and, and most people sort of accept that um as he, as he does he does he look a bit tawdry possibly possibly but i think i think again i think we, we're possibly doing him a favor by suggesting that his agents have missed a trick um in terms of uh, you know the contractual um uh, clauses that should have been inserted into the contract so yeah we, we can see the reasons why it's fairly transparent as to what's going on as far as i'm concerned but I, at this present moment in time i think harry kane will stay at spurs Mm, yeah, Chris. What do you think? Do the fans forgive and forget? I mean, I'm thinking of recent examples. Maybe Coutinho is one. You know, Coutinho. There was a sort of prolonged, ugly exit, wasn't there? But I don't know. Do, do fans just move on? Will they move on with Kane? Uh, Luis Suarez at Liverpool was another one. Obviously, he yeah. tried to go to Arsenal and and all of that pound, pound, extra pound, and all of that nonsense. And then he goes and has a great season, and it was it's all kind of forgotten about, I suppose. But what what surprises me at the Kane situation is, like, surely they should have known this early in the summer. What did, surely the agent should have done his diligence there and seen what does Levy want, what a city willing to pay, and they would have known that. Oh, the miles apart here, he's not going to get this move. Something's going to have to happen. So, I I, I think he, I think they've from the Kane side, they've they've handled it awful. Um, I think he does look wrong and I do think he has got a bit of an easier ride because he's the England captain, because he has never done anything like this before. So he does have credit in the bank. That's fair. But yeah, I just think, I think he's handled it bad. But I think uh, as Neil says, though, if he, if he stays at Spurs and scores 15, 20 goals, it'll, it'll soon be forgotten about. But it won't go away. It'll raise its head next summer again, won't it? And, and that's the thing. He wants to go. So... It's not. It's not just going to be. He he stays this summer and then he's then he's on for the rest of his career, is he? So I don't think this is going to go away. Maybe he does does stay. I, I don't. You know what? I don't think it will raise its head again next summer because I think it's now or never. You know, um, he'll be 20, 29 next summer. I, it, nobody's going to pay. You know, north of a hundred million for a twenty-nine-year-old. Um, I, I think City need him now. And that's why they've kind of made such a play for him this summer. They need somebody who's going to who is going to score goals. Uh, they need somebody to replace Aguero. They managed to, to uh, come up with a system that meant they didn't didn't really need um, a central striker uh, at times last season, uh, and you know re- brought took the title back to the Etihad this time. And, and remember Pep being asked towards the end of the next season, you know. 
can you do this again next year without a centre forward? And he said, no, I would absolutely love somebody who, would, who will score me 40 goals a year. Clearly he thinks Kane's that man. But I really do think it's a, and, and there has been reports of this this week, that it's, it, it is now or never as far as Harry Kane and Manchester City are concerned. Mm. Do, do you think there's anyone else in the frame? I mean, you know, do you think there's anyone else that basically, I mean, you know, uh, there's sort of reports out, I think maybe mischievous, wasn't it? Sort of about Ronaldo, for example. But I don't, you know, do you think it's not just now or never this summer for Kane? But, you know, is it Kane or no one, basically, for... Well, certainly at the start of the summer, the City had a, had a list of, of targets they were looking at. Kane was clearly at the top of that, but it also included Lukaku and it also included Haaland. Now, the Haaland situation has gone extremely quiet. Now, whether that is because he is um, advised by Mino Raiola, who doesn't get on particularly well with Pep Guardiola, or whether that's because Borussia Dortmund are demanding too much money and you know, and, and as they did with Sancho, are sticking by this kind of um, determination that if their valuation isn't met, then the player doesn't get sold. And then all focus went on Harry Kane, and, and I just, I, I'd be surprised if City haven't got anybody else in the frame. But as it stands at the moment, they've really put all their eggs in one basket in, in trying to get Kane out of Tottenham. Um, as for Ronaldo, I mean, I mean, could you imagine that Cristiano Ronaldo turning up at the Etihad? I mean. No. <laughs> I want, listen, I want to see that. I, I want to see that just, just for the amount of you know what it will boil. I mean, that would be absolutely incredible uh, to see him turn up there. But, you know, he's what, he's 36 now. He, he'll be 37 in February. But he's still scored. He scored 45 goals last season, 39 of them for his club. You know, he's still scoring glo- goals at international level. Um, if it's an out-and-out goal scorer that Pep wants, then, you know, for, for, for a year anyway, you know, he would certainly, I would say, he would certainly fill the gap. Um, can I see it happening? No, but, you know, I, I, I read with interest the um, the statement that Ronaldo came out with, that his story in Madrid's over. He didn't say anything anywhere about his story in Manchester being over. So, uh, you know, maybe it's a case of watch this space. Yeah, no, sure. It was an, intri- it was an intriguing story, I have to yeah. say, you know, because it's clearly... You know, blimey, uh, um, Ronaldo is is an absolute, you know, god in my eyes. I do think this constant sort of, you know, discussion over Ronaldo and Messi, I sort of always slightly flip-flop between the two, but I'm generally in the Ronaldo camp, I have to say. I think he's an absolute, you know, I'd love to see him back in English football. You know, let, let's, let you know, let's wait and see. I'm certainly, you know, his, his value to Juventus is absolutely huge. So maybe... Maybe maybe it's a no go, but for the dream value, it would be just amazing to see you know see him back. Neil, what do you think? Do you think that City could do it again without that classic? So, say for example, they do finish without the striker. I mean, it was so interesting at Spurs, wasn't it? On there's so much possession, so eighteen shots, you know, late sixties possession. I forget the actual figure. I mean, you know, they should have won that game nine times out of ten. They win that game. And yet Spurs, you know, do a brilliant, you know, defiant performance, if you, if you like, to win the game. But, you know, just, you know, and there were other examples of that last season, weren't there, when City did exactly the same, but still come up smelling a rose. the best team in Europe, even though they lost that final, really. But can they go through a whole season again and win the Premier League title without a recognised number nine, frankly? Um, I- Personally, I don't think so because for me, the team to watch this season is going to be Chelsea. Um, I, I thought they were um, pretty outstanding and they didn't have a number nine um, last season and, um, you know, for large parts of it. And they've gone out and signed, um, obviously, one of the best in Europe. So, I, I you know, I think they're going to be in a, you know, a, a pretty much unstoppable force. I mean, I do think the title this season will be decided by pretty much how the teams in the top four and six get on against each other. There's so many points that you think they that, that, that they can pick up um, amongst themselves because I, I fully expect the likes of, of Chelsea and Manchester City to be the majority of the, the uh, Premier. They're going to have a, the odd hiccup here and there, but I fully expect them to um, uh, to, to you know to pick to, to, for that to be the case for the title to be decided amongst themselves. Pretty much, I mean, the number of they say that you know um, championships are won, won by defences, and they on the number of games that, that City won in that, that fantastic twenty-one run, um, you know, twenty-one match uh, run of victories by the solitary goal was 
was outstanding, really. I mean, it just showed how, how much they'd shored up the defence. Um, I personally don't think they can, but a little bit like Simon, if if what Simon's saying um, is the current situation, he would know it better than me, in fairness. I, I would think that um, that they'll wait next season for Haaland. And if, if there are, you know, the German clubs, I think everybody seems to, it did sort of uh, frustrate me a little bit because the German clubs, if they say that a player's not going, generally speaking, he doesn't go. You know, I mean, pretty much they said Sancho wasn't going for a season and it didn't happen. They said, they've said Haaland's not going and, you know, it won't happen. I'm pretty sure that, you know, the sporting directors, what they say goes at some of these clubs. You know, there's a realisation there that, you know, eventually these assets will be realised. But um, for me, I, I don't see that Manchester City without a recognised striker can, can, can you know, have got the firepower to, to, to overhaul Chelsea because they're, they're, my, they're my team to watch this season. But listen... You know they were they were grinding out results last 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 season and and you know if they go on that that sort of run again then phew, who knows but for me I, I can't see it and I think Chelsea haven't addressed their problems because I didn't think Havertz or either had Kai Havertz or Timo Werner were, were out and out goal scorers and I think they've 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 addressed that problem by going out and spending somebody who just just scores bucketfuls of goals so. Um, yeah, Chelsea for me, and I, like I say, I think Manchester City, if they can't get game, will probably go for Haaland next season. Yeah, did you see that story about Timo Werner, by the way, about the um, stadium announcer? I mean, yeah. it's astonishing, wasn't it? When Chelsea have an open day for anyone that missed it, Chelsea have the open day, invite the fans and get the fans on the on the microphone to uh, make their score predictions. And one of us sort of hijacks it and says, get Timo Werner out of her club. I was, I was, I was actually thinking that Werner had such a good game in the final. They, they end up winning the European Cup <laughs> and you still get someone like that. And they've, you know, made an absolute blistering start to the campaign, you know. And Werner actually, his figures in the end, you know, were pretty, <laughs> defied his kind of reputation as being, you know, the offside merchant. <laughs> the European champions and the fans are still moaning. <laughs> it's just, what can you do? You know, it's ridiculous, really. But Chris, the other one that sort of kind of caught my eye about stories this morning is that Robert Lewandowski... Well, I mean, you know, German uh, media sort of saying that he wants out. Um, not sure that sort of Bayern Munich will let, want to let him go, but there would surely be Premier League interest in him, wouldn't there? I mean, he's you know he's the absolute god, isn't he, of centre forwards, if you like. Yeah, I think in Europe he's probably still just ahead of of Kane. If you're talking striker, striker, I know Ronaldo and Messi goals, and mm. they're not really proper. Sh- say proper strikers are not all out strikers but Lewandowski is the kind of the man that everybody wants to be if you're a number nine um, yeah I mean I don't know Simon would know better would would City look at him now this summer if they don't get Kane is he a bit old maybe I don't know um, he, he's definitely he'd definitely be an option for any, any Premier League club if they can afford him as well I imagine he's, he's, he's on pretty decent money but the, the situation with him may give more competition. It looked like Haaland maybe next summer would have been City United um, who would have been in for for Haaland if, if that release clause story that has been about is right. But now if Bayern Munich need a striker, if Lewandowski's looking to move on, could he be the latest to go from Dortmund to Bayern? So it's definitely, it's it's going to, if he does move this summer or next summer, it'll It'll change the kind of, I suppose, map for for somebody like Haaland. He'll have more options now if he wants to stay in Germany. It's tantalising, that one, isn't it? I'd love to see Lewandowski back in English. That's worked with him before. So, yeah, worked with him at Bayern Munich. Um, So, you know, that that relationship's there. One thing I would would stress about that is the the relationship at boardroom level between Bayern and, and City. Is uh, is very very shaky to the point that the directors don't even socialise when they have played each other in Champions League games. Um, you know that they they sit on separate tables at the at the traditional kind of eve of game meal and, and don't mix whatsoever. And and that kind of bad blood has, has existed for a few years now, and kind of was was made even worse last year when Bayern were trying to. Uh, prize Leroy Sane away at, uh, in a cut price deal and City again they stuck by their guns in terms of what kind of cash they wanted for Sane so uh, yeah that, that could be a, a sticking point City trying to trying to buy a, or get Bayern Munich's best player 
um, when when the boardroom kind of relationship is is pretty poor. Yeah, what, what does that date back to then originally? It dates back to to, to people like um, uh, uh, Rumeniger uh, talking about the the source of cities uh, cities oh, investing, right. and uh, that didn't go down too well. Um, at the Etihad, particularly as one, I think one of Bayern Munich's um, uh, sponsors is uh, is Emirates, so it's quite uh, they they found that that sort of quite ironic. Uh, but yeah, it all it all dates back to uh, back to then. Wow. Well, yeah, there you go. You see, we learned something here on the show. Um, Neil, I'm just looking at the running script here and it's got Arsenal's woes. I think there's probably a misprint there. I mean, I just don't know, you know, was, was it was it, was it it really that bad? Uh, so mo- <laughs> moving on from the joys of Manchester City and sort of kind of, you know, that, um, you know, the sort of kind of, you know, where are they going to go and sort of, you know, Chelsea contenders. I mean, blimey, you know, Arsenal, that was a bit of a rude awakening, wasn't it? Sort of changing, changing tact to um you know on onto sort of kind of maybe one of the more surprising results of of, of last uh, of last weekend the opening opening game <clears throat> friday night where do you see that one panning out i feel your pain mate and i, I just don't see um i'm just yeah. wondering still who's making whether or not we're going to see any ending to the bad decisions that keep being made on the recruitment side of things you know it's been compounded this week by um obviously arsenal going in for aaron ramsdale this isn't a comment about ramsdale but more but i think they're going to buy him for 24 million pounds mm-hmm. you know 12 months ago or um, they got rid of or was it two years ago now but time seems to fly and we've had covid they got rid of emmy martinez so i think it's probably you know if you were to pick two or three of the top goalkeepers in the premier league certainly from what i've seen you know won so many points last season for aston villa um I'm just wondering, you know, why would you get, you know, why if there was any, you know, if you wanted a challenger for Leno, why not just have a look within your own? The bloke was Arsenal through and through. You know, he, he devoted his life to Arsenal, you know, deserved a chance, did well, and they showed him the door. I mean, I mean it just just crass decisions being made on a loop. I just don't really understand what, and, and to be honest with you, to be honest with you, my old pal, um, uh, I, I don't really see Mikel Arteta as being as being the answer to the um, as being the answer to the to, to the problems. I have to be quite honest. Were I in charge of Arsenal Football Club, but I said thanks, Mikel, at the end of last season, it's not worked out. I don't believe you've got the ability to take the club forward. And I probably would have got Brendan Rodgers, who, who I've been tremendously impressed by since he's pitched up at Leicester. If you could prize him away from Leicester, um, uh, you know he's he's had a really good time at uh, at the King Power. Uh, and quite frankly, I was in the camp of undecided. But having spoken to Brendan on a number of occasions, seeing the manner in which he operates, seeing the way his teams play football, the fact he doesn't moan ever about injuries, um, he just gets gets up, dusts himself down and gets on with it. He's managed big clubs before. He's used to the pressure of managing big football clubs. Um, you know, he took uh, he took Liverpool to within a whisker of, of landing the title, which a lot of people seem to conveniently forget. I, I just don't see Mikel Arteta as being the answer. To, I think there are problems at the at the, at the top, quite frankly, Crossy. And, uh, and at the moment, apart from two or three bright lights, shining lights that have come through the academy, your Smith Rose, your Sackers, etc. You know, um, I, I, I don't see any any short term answer to the to the pain that you're currently feeling. It could be a while before you're dining at the top table again. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. Sorry, uh, no, that's <laughs> right. no, just to put the other side, I guess. They've spent. I mean, they will have spent. I think by the end of this this week, one hundred and forty million pounds. You know, once you take Ramsdale um, and Odegaard into consideration, you know, they've already already bought. You know, Lokonga and Basic Tavares, who probably more squad players, if you like, but they certainly need to strengthen. Uh, of course, Ben White. You know, <laughs> there's certainly there's certainly determination there and ambition there, isn't there? It, I mean, is that when you look at those signings, do they improve the squad enough? You know, the club are clearly putting their money where their mouth is, if you like, and giving it a real go this season. But does it improve it enough to really make inroads and make a difference and make progress and, in, and improvements? Um, I don't think so. I mean, you look at it and you, Arteta can't say that he hasn't been back financially. He certainly he's had big back in this summer. If these are all the players that he's... And and Edu have have wanted and they delivered them. They they're under real pressure now to to that there can't be any excuse for not being pushing for the top 
top four, top six because they've spent so much money. But when you look at the players, I think Odegaard's a good signing. Um, he obviously had a decent impact when he came in last season. Um, there, there, there's plenty of potential there. So I think he's 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 good value for what he is. If he improves and develops into the player that his potential says, then it's a great signing. But I think it's kind of, I suppose, a mark of where Arsenal now that they're they're buying these sort of players and they're not they're not in for the Jaden Sancho's and the, and these types of players because they would have been in for these players 10, 15 years ago. But what has changed there now that the stock has fallen so low, but there's nothing in that though the list of players they've signed that it like you look at and you go, wow, that's that's gonna be a a game changer for us and that's gonna really shoot them up the table at that player. And I don't know who that player is for them. I like but they need they need I think they need that kind of I suppose a player who walks into the club and, and just just lifts everybody, lifts the whole dressing room and they go, right, we've got a, a real superstar here again. Um and I don't I don't know who that is, but I don't think they've they've definitely not signed them this summer. Mm, yeah. So I mean where where do you I mean, Arteta was clearly a very good coach under Pep, wasn't he? For example, do you see him? Do you see him sort of kind of turning around the narrative, if you like, and sort of making it making a success of it this season? I think just as important as money for any coach is time, mm. and I just you know I really do think he he needs more time to put his stamp on a club in terms of the the style of play that he wants to bring. <clears throat> but I mean, if you'd have said to Thomas Frank. When the when the fixtures were coming out, right? You've got your pick. You know, you've got. We're going to send the. We're going to send them. You know, your your, your club's first uh, top flight game for what seventy four years. We're going to send one of the stellar names to play in the opening weekend of the season. Who do you want? He would have picked Arsenal every day of the week, and certainly an Arsenal without you know Aubameyang and, and Lacazette and with so many young players in the team. And you just look at Arsenal, and you know. It's easy to say, well, where where are the where are the leaders in that Arsenal team now? You know, where's the where's the Vieira, where's the Adams? But it's not that. Where's the where's the Mikel Arteta of that team? Where's the Gilberto Silva of that team? That you know, Kieran Turney apart, I, I don't see anybody in there who who looks the kind of player who, who wants to roll his sleeves up and, and and really kind of put himself on the line. Uh, you know, and it was an Arsenal team last week. What was it? Four, four players aged twenty one or under. That started the game. You know, there, there was an awful lot of inexperience in there, and um, you know, I, I just think Arteta needs time um, and more money, probably, to to really kind of put his to put his mark on the team. Let's not forget, we're talking about Arsenal here. You know, this is one of the the big names of English football. Um, you know, it shouldn't be difficult to to attract players to, to the Emirates whatsoever. Even you know, even if they haven't qualified for the Champions League, what? the last three seasons. Um, so, yeah, I just think he needs time and he needs the, the back end of the club in the transfer market. Yeah. Neil, only, only a small matter of Chelsea up next, basically. And, you know, if Arsenal struggled defensively on Friday night against Brentford, Chelsea, you know, buoyed by the new arrival of Romelu Lukaku, um, you know, <laughs> certainly got the, you know, movement and the energy and the sort of power to bully defenders, isn't he, really? I mean, any any hope any hope for Arsenal, or do, is this another you know another another sort of kind of statement for Chelsea? There is, mate, because they're at home, you know. And, and a, a couple of years ago, we went there, and um, uh, I'm, I'm really sorry, you know, it's age in it. But um, a couple of years ago, we, we went there, and Chelsea were flying under Sarri, and, and Arsenal called out, and everybody was saying, "Oh, Chelsea are walking," and all the rest of it. I think it was a Saturday night game, and, and Arsenal pulled it off. It's it's one thing to go into you know to uh, lose in front of. 16,000, 18,000 pumped up Brentford fans, fans on Friday night. It's another thing altogether to to uh, have your t- roll over and have your tummies tickled in front of 60,000 in the London derby when uh, the whole the, the eyes of the whole world are, are watching you. So I, I expect a different Arsenal, but uh, you know I expect Chelsea to, uh, to to prevail. But but yeah, it's it's a totally different thing. And I and, and I hear what Simon's just said about leaders. I do look around that dr- that dressing room and wonder where they are. 
wonder where the wonder where the the big personalities are. And I, I have to say, I was I was a little bit um, underwhelmed by Ben White's performance. I know it was his first game and all the rest of it, but you know, I w- would have expected a, str- a you know he's, you know you know a stronger, just a physically bigger, stronger sort of you know sort of character. I don't think he's a bad defender. Don't get me wrong, but you know, um, Arsenal are after plug and play characters at the moment, and I, and I would have expected them to to get one in that you know would do the job now. Ben, listen, Ben White will be a good defender in a couple, you know, great defender in a couple of years' time. Whether or not he's he's not had that much top flight experience, and I'm just wondering whether or not they they could have cast the net um, a little bit wider and got a plug and play, plug at somebody who's plug and play now who'd, who'd absolutely step in and, and perhaps dominate in the dressing room as well and bang a few heads together. Because um, you know, I just don't, I just see them being a, a way off the others at the moment, Crossy. If I'm being honest. Chris, let's have a look at Man United because I tell you what, that was a that was a big win over Leeds, wasn't it? In in every sense, frankly, you know, is that is that a statement victory that says you know Man United are going to be title contenders this season? Um, it was certainly a statement, and it was certainly the the perfect start they would have wanted to come back with with seventy thousand in the stadium and just gets the whole mood right up there, everybody behind them and. Whether they're, whether they're title contenders, I, I, I still think it comes down to seeing how quickly Lukaku settles in at Chelsea and if City get Kane. If if, if Lukaku hits the ground running and City get Kane, I, I don't think United will, will have enough to keep keep pace with them. But it was certainly impressive. I mean, if Paul Pogba can do that, I'm not saying four assists every week, but have such a big impact on a game every week. Then yeah, they're they're, they're going to go up a level from last season. I think they'll be closer, certainly closer to City. But I think that's a big question if he can do that every week because we've seen flashes of this from him before, where he he he's played big games for United, and you've gone right now he's turned the corner. But then two three games down the line, you know, he's like he's gone missing in games again. So that's a big thing. Is he just playing for a move or a new contract at the minute, or or more money? Who knows? But they certainly everything just seemed to click. Um, they obviously Greenwood played very well through the middle. Fernandez with his hat trick, and uh, it, it, it was a great start for them. And they still had the, the two signings to come in, in in Sancho. I know he came off the bench late on, and and Varane at the back. So there's certainly plenty of uh, I imagine optimism around Old Trafford after that. But whether they're title contenders or just on the back of beating Leeds, I mean they beat Leeds six two last season, and and they weren't close to City, so. I think that it needs a lot more, but it's certainly certainly a right start for them. Mm. Yeah, Simon, I think sort of Solskjaer said, didn't he, in, in pre-season that you, you you definitely can't win the the uh, win the title in the first ten games, but you can probably lose it. You know, well, he did last year. You know, that's that last year. That was absolutely you know, was was the start to the season. They had that late that late finish after reaching the Euro, Europa League final. And, you know, their home form in particular at the start of last season was abysmal. I think they lost three of their, their first four games at home and, and, and drew the other one. Um, it, it was an impre- impressive performance from United um, last week against Leeds. The other side of the coin is that Leeds were were, were very poor, I thought. Um, you know, they, they, they just... I don't know. They look like a team for me. Even on the first game of the, the first game of the season, they needed a, a little bit more of a refresh in terms of getting players in. Um, but you know, United were, were very good. Um, is it a, a statement of intent in terms of a title challenge? Well, it should be. You know, Solskjaer spent four hundred million pounds in the transfer market. Now, United should be challenging for the title. They spent one point two billion. Since Alex Ferguson retired, they should be challenging for the title. There are no excuses this year for United. Um, certainly, in terms of their first eleven, they're a match for any team in the country. Whether they've got a squad that's deep enough, you know, w- w- remains to be seen because they, they've got. Uh, obviously, they're back in the Champions League again this season. They're going to have a big, busy schedule. Can that squad cope with with playing two, two, three games a week? Well, that's. I think that's the big question mark. But in terms of should they be challenging for the title? Well, in terms of the cash that Oli's been allowed to spend since he became manager, they should be challenging for the title. They should be winning games like that at Old Trafford. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there are any excuses for United this year. 
No, Neil, do you see Liverpool amongst the contenders as well? I mean, it was quite a good win at Norwich, wasn't it? But Nor- Norwich worried me with their performance. I mean, they, I thought they were very weak, frankly. And, uh, you know, but uh, I mean, do you see Liverpool? So it's difficult. What I'm trying to say is it may be difficult to read too much into Liverpool's performance. But, you know, do you see them coming back and being strong again? Well, I, don't, I, I do because Virgil van Dijk's going to return. Um, so that will, you know... Um, Take away some of the uh, some of the, some of the uh, obvious cracks that were that were there last season, um, but uh, you know I, I don't think you can understate how important uh, Wijnaldum was, in my opinion, to, to that to the smooth running of that Liverpool machine that swept all beside you know all in front you know uh, all before it a couple of seasons season before last rather. Um, I, I really think he was an underrated and uh, underrated uh, cog in that particular uh, machine, and um, you know they've, they've lost him. And um, to be honest with you, I, I, even though Van Dijk's back, I just don't see the depth in quality at Liverpool that I see at the likes of you know other challengers that, that have probably got better, uh, pro- probably get better chances of, of lifting the title. I, I agree. I agree with Simon. Really, there's no excuses for Manchester United, and I wouldn't put it past them to lift the title at this stage in the season. Chelsea are my pick, as I, as I sort of said ten minutes ago, but. You know, there's no reason why Manchester United, if if you you know can't mount a, a challenge, and and they and they've got every single um, chance of of beating some of those rivals around them with the squad they've got. You know, can't can't lift the lift the crown. I mean, it's a staggering amount of money that that, that they've spent trying to find the solution to the you know to to the problems that have faced them since Ferguson's uh, Ferguson's departed. And uh, Simon's right; there can't be any excuses now. Um, with respect to, to Liverpool, I mean, I just don't see that they've got the, the strength in depth to, to cope. And I, I think they're sort of a, a man down with respect to, to, to losing Wijnaldum. I know they've brought in a replacement, but it's going to take time for him to settle in. And I'm just, I, I, like I say, I, I, I just think there are teams there with deeper squads who can better withstand the rigours of, you know, the twin challenges of the Premier League. And the Champions League, and and I just don't see this season Liverpool. Yet on their day, they're going to be a match for anyone. But I just don't see that they've got, like, say, the 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 quality in depth, depth in quality rather, to to sort of challenge Chelsea, Manchester City, or Manchester United this season. Yeah, Chris, that that midfield surprised me a bit on on Saturday. It shouldn't really, but it was kind of. You know, I, I guess that sort of highlights the, the issue, doesn't it? I think Jordan Henderson's very close to coming back, isn't he? Is he likely to be involved in the, this weekend? I guess they'd look so much stronger with him, you know, and everything that he brings, um, you know, w- with his personality and performance, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I think he should be should be ready to feature this weekend and, and Fabinho in there as well. And, and when you have them and then Thiago, I, I think yeah, that's a, a strong three. But the thing with that is, it's a different midfield. Thiago's a very different player to Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum is he's he's box to box. He's relentless, um, and he and he does the, the the jobs that some players don't want to do. He, he's not the one who grabs the headlines. He's not the one who's getting an eight or a nine in the match ratings. But he's very important, as Neil said, to that midfield. And Thiago's just he likes the ball a bit more. He likes to have the ball and take a touch and 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 pick a great pass. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he's giving the ball away or anything, but that may slow up the midfield. So either the Liverpool midfield will have to work slightly different if it's those three starting or Thiago will have to kind of adapt his game a bit. Look, he's a bit older than that, so it's harder to adapt, but he's a world-class player. And if he can keep fit and and do that, he 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 may be able to adapt his game a little. But it'll be a different midfield without Wijnaldum, definitely. And that is the probably one concern Um that they haven't properly brought in a like-for-like like replacement for him. Um, but, but Klopp got quite a- animated last last week in his pre-match press conference when he was asked about that, why he hasn't signed somebody it, it, to replace Wijnaldum. And his argument was, well, tell tell me who to sign. But, I mean, that's not the journalist, journalist point to say who to sign. I mean, he's got enough scouts and... Um, and all of that to find. You wouldn't get the commission, would you? So you know. No, no. Um, it wasn't me who asked them, but um, <laughs> but uh, I would like the commission if I could find them. But uh, yeah, so is there a like for like for an album? Maybe not, but something's going to have to change in that midfield a little, a little different. So I think Liverpool will play a little differently. But the way they played in pre-season and the way they 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 played kind of against Norwich, it looks like those. 
front three will be whoever starts, whether it's Yota Firmino, will be back to fully harassing everybody. The, the press looks a lot higher up again this season than it was last season. So from that point of view, they might look similar, but the midfield will be a little different without Wijnaldum. Yeah, so I, 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 as someone who's, who watches Liverpool week in, week out, I cannot think of another player in the whole of the Premier League, perhaps, who divides opinion amongst fans, journalists, or whoever, right, as Thiago. Because I always remember used to go into sort of Champions League games when Thiago was playing. I was thinking, right, I'm in for a treat here because I love watching this player. And, you know, I still enjoy watching him play for Liverpool, don't get me wrong. But it, it, I just, you know, it seems to divide opinion. Some say he slows it down. Some say he's an absolute midfield master. You know, where, where, where do you stand? Do you think he works in that system? Basically. I think the, the jury's still out on it. Look, last season he came in, um, funny season, COVID, all of that. He had an injury. He had COVID. He had an injury. He was out for a while. Towards the end of the season, he looked a lot better. Um, but as I said, yeah, I think the jury's still out on whether he fits into that midfield. He's certainly not Wijnaldum. He's, he's not like that that type of player. He would probably be better sitting in Fabino's position. But the way Liverpool's midfield play, you need Fabinho there because he covers so much ground and he, he's he's a great tackler and interceptor of the ball. Don't think Thiago can match him in those states. But he would be better sitting in that kind of sixth position and pinging out passes. But I don't think it, between Fabinho and Fernandinho, I don't think there's better in the Premier League in, in that position. So I don't, Kante uh, be another, but. So I don't think he's not going to force Fabinho out of that position. I know he did last season when Fabinho was in defence, but that won't be happening this year. Um, so it's whether he fits on the right or the left. Henderson's played down that right-hand side so well for the last few years, and he's he's great at taking the ball from Fabinho and getting it up into to those front three or out to um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's, who's, who breaks down the flank. So... Um, is Thiago going to go to the left and, and play in Wijnaldum's position? That'll be another thing he'll have to adapt to because he's used to playing more on the right side or in the central side. So certainly for me, the jury's still out on him, but there is obviously flashes and we saw some of it towards the last season that he is a world-class player still and it's just whether he can really fit into that midfield and express himself the way he needs to. Mm, yeah, that would be very interesting, right? And just, just, just also, I guess we we should mark the the start of the uh, Europa Conference League tonight. If anyone, <laughs> if anyone forgotten how it's on, Spurs basically becoming the first English team to to play in, in, in obviously in Portugal tonight um, without Harry Kane, which may, may maybe you know. I think from Spurs' point of view, is more about the Harry Kane saga than leaving their main man at home. But I mean, it, you know, here we go. Here we go again. You know, I I kind of quite like the sort of the um, European uh, leagues. I don't think people sort of kind of take um, sort of you know all the Europeans you know competitions very seriously there really. But is it is it another distraction, Simon? Do you think that it's a kind of you know should should we be a bit more respectful for the for the other competitions, if you like, out the European competitions outside the um, Champions League? I just think it's a it's a competition, one's competition too many again. It's just it just smacks the UEFA um, trying to be clever and some you know some people who, who are kind of on the on the executive thinking, well, we've got to justify our existence. How can we do it? I mean, just the criteria for qualification. I mean, you need a degree in, in sort of um, computer science just to understand how you can qualify for that competition. I mean, I was looking, for example, that, that it goes down to the winners of the Liechtenstein Cup um, qualify for it. Um, they actually play in the second division of the Swiss League and they've qualified because the, 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 the Liechtenstein Cup uh, hasn't been played for the last two seasons because because of COVID. So they qualified because, and it's by the way, it's a team called, um, I've written them down somewhere, FC Vaduz, who I've got to admit I'd, I'd never heard of before. And they qualified because they won the, they won the Liechtenstein Cup three seasons ago. I mean, 
I don't know uh, if, if somebody can explain to me uh, how, how this whole thing works, then I'd be more than grateful. I mean, they're throwing plenty of money at it. I think you could, you win five million euros if if you if you actually win the win the competition. Um, so you know, they, to be fair to UEFA, they are backing it backing it financially. But will fans be interested in it? You know, I, I'm not sure fans um, in you know in the top footballing nations will be interested in it because like I say I think it's a it's a consolation prize that I don't think they will be uh, you know they will be that interested in, in winning but I'm sure if you ask Spurs fans if they could get their hands on a trophy then you know perhaps they'll take it what on earth are you saying about Spurs? And the well, what would it count though? Serious. <laughs> you brought me on that cross before we came up. We, we Serious question though would it count as a major trophy if they won it? Like well, how do you just yeah. Like, because it's just a new trophy. So, how do you? Is it a major trophy if they did they end their trophy trade? Well, of course, I think it. I think it would be. I'm just. So, I'm always someone. Uh, the Arsenal thinks be. the fan thinks that Europa Conference League is a big trophy for for, for Spurs. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I genuinely think, on a serious point, I think the way that sort of we disregard, you know, in sort of kind of the Europa League, and now this competition. Is a bit embarrassing, basically. I used to, you know, when we grew up, we used to love the sort of the, you know, Cup Winners Cup, the European Cup, the um, uh, UEFA League as it was, you know, seeing that. And I think it used to be a bit, you know, a bit of old magic, really. Look, I, I, I actually, I know what Simon. Said. I agree with Simon. I, agree with I think it's, I think it's been diluted, and for the worth of it for yeah. the English club. Well, this so will I, dilute it further. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really get it. You know, I mean. A bit like Simon, you know, I came, I came in here and thought I'd better f- find out exactly what it means. And, you know, 184 teams started in the competition, 184. Spurs have got to play 15 games from the group stages, you know, seven, I think 17 including tonight to get to a final. Is it worth, is it worth all the aggro? You know, the players, some of the, you know, first teamers will undoubtedly be, be, be playing in it. I just don't know whether or not for, for Nuno Spirito Santo it's worth it. You know, the merit money in the Premier League, you know, these days he's what two and a half million pound. Well, it was one and a half million donkeys years ago. So that would have that would have definitely have risen. You know, they're better off trying to push into push into seventh place in the Premier League rather than ninth and have you know and get to the last last four of this Mickey Mouse Cup thing. <laughs> Mickey Mouse. I just don't, I'm, just, I'm just not having it really. You know, <laughs> I, I, I do agree with both both of you guys on it. It is for for English clubs. It's it's madness. It's more football, and all we hear every weekend in press conferences is managers moaning about the amount of yeah. games they have to play. The only thing I'll, I'll take from an from a, an Irish point of view and looking at it that way for the development of football in smaller nations, mm. it is good. I mean. I think one club still in there has got Shamrock Rovers who are playing in the qualifiers, still got a chance to get in. And if they can get into the group stages of it, it helps them and it brings money into Irish football, which which in the last few years we, we had done dark in, in the Europa League and, we've had, and Shamrock Rovers a few years before that. So that's a good side of it. But I get where you're coming from for English teams. It's just, it's a nonsense really and it's more games. But maybe it is a way of growing football in other countries. Yeah, you know, that's a fair, that's a fair that's point. That's a great Chris. point, Chris, yeah. Yeah, what, one, one possibly I, you know, I overlooked when I was looking at the competition this morning is, you know, UEFA is faced with this challenge of, of kind of distributing, you know, the wealth that football generates. And, you know, maybe that's, the, you know, maybe that's the, the, the prime driver behind it, which is, if it is, is admirable. Yeah, it is a good shout because I think the Nations League has done that in, on an international stage. You know, and sort of kind of people were talking about sort of scrapping the Nations League, you know, to try and make room in the calendar last season, which a lot of people sort of thought would be a very good idea. But the flip side is that you break down about how much, you know, some of the smaller associations rely upon <clears throat> that, that money, the competition money, frankly, obviously they're not getting the gate receipts. And it's, it's you know, it's just something that UEFA really didn't want to do I mean I think they thought about it but then sort of kind of came to the conclusion we just can't do that to the associations and I think Spurs will be a huge draw you know yeah. for, for any for any any of the smaller nations be a, be a big great opportunity and see them you know it, it, to, to play them right Neil as someone who has then studied the running order then let's let's perhaps ask you for the and finally bit then um, because you'll be well prepared for that and um <laughs> 
So saying in, in honour, and finally, and it would come to the end finally bit, and in honour of the Galatasaray player head headbutting um, his, his teammate on the pitch, times when you've seen a footballer lose the plot on the field of play. Can you remember? Yeah, I did. I did actually think about. I have to think about that one, mate. To be honest, and, and I know this is a very Midland-centric sort of reply, but um, uh, 2003, um, one of the nicest men probably in football, and I'm sure you, you know we've bumped into him in press rooms all over the place. Dion Dublin um, just completely lost the plot with Robbie Savage during a, a Birmingham yeah, Villa derby at Villa Park. Um, at the time, I thought Sav must have said something. Um, uh, you know, said something out of order to him, but I don't think he did. I think he just went, "You what?" And Dublin just saw it and headbutted him. He just, you know, it was so out of character for Dion. It was normally Mister, you know, Mister Cool, you know, a real leader in the dressing room. All the good things, you know, came back from a broken leg at Manchester United, re-established himself, at, you know, in, in England squad. All the great <laughs> things, you know. Um, you know, and it was still one of the one. Of, he still did, did did bring a smile to my face when he sat in a press conference at Leicester the other year, and um, uh, everybody had to uh, address uh, sort of say where that you know which mm. organisation they were representing. And Dion sat there and said, uh, "Dion Dublin, homes under the hammer." Um, but um, <laughs> instead of football focuses, it should have been. But listen, he's a lovely fella, and I just don't know why he did it to this day. But I, you know, I've asked him about it off the record. He said he just pressed my buttons. But yeah, that was the one that that really sprang to mind. Not only for being just a mad moment that forty odd thousand people just thought, "Oh my God, Dion Dublin's just headbutted Robbie Savage," and 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 then thought we all in the press box thought, "Why, you know, what's 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 Savage done to him now to elicit that sort of response?" But yeah. it, listen, uh, it, it, it was madness. Yeah, incredible, incredible, Simon. What you got? Well, I was at, at Hillsborough when uh, Paolo Di Canio. Um, push Paul Alcock over and my kind of um, abiding memory of that is because uh, it still does make me laugh even though it was, it, obviously it was a serious yeah, I know it's it. But it was it was when Nigel oh, Winterberg went over to, <laughs> to confront Di Canio and literally said something but then ducked because he thought Di Canio was going to say playmaker and even even on the day when we saw replays of that it, it, you know and, and we was, it was obvious like say a very serious incident but you actually had to laugh at, at uh, Nigel Winterburn's kind of taking evasive action when he didn't really need to. Um, so yeah, that that was the one I I remember most of all. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to say that that was a great irony of football, isn't it? Because Nutty Nigel would never shirk a challenge. It's <laughs> incredible. It's just one of one of the bizarre things, you know, seeing it done. Um, Chris. Um, so the the one I, I I've seen is uh, when Luis Suarez a bit Ivanovic at Anfield. Um, obviously at the time it was like you seen something kind of happened, and it took a, a couple of minutes to realise what he'd actually done when you seen the replays. But um, obviously knew Suarez had some maverick streak in him, but that was that was outrageous and and, and disgusting, and it was only made worse that he did it. 12 months later then at the World Cup on, on I think it was Cialini he did it on so yeah I've seen a, a professional player bite another professional player as, and, then, uh, and then hold his teeth as if and then hold his teeth yeah yeah. In the mouth. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> hurt, hurt his teeth chomping into him like it was a boiled sweet or something <laughs> oh, fantastic I love it love it brilliant brilliant guys thanks so much for joining we really enjoyed it we really really appreciate it and so I hope everyone's enjoyed it at home and um, yeah look forward to a really good Good footballing weekend. See you same time, same place next week. Bye.